tap it in. Welcome back, everybody, to the Big Players Only Podcast, a partner of the Listen Frederick Podcast Network. Got myself, Ben, Josh, Tyler, Tully, Colin, and Kenny Oneput. We're going to start by recapping our annual Big Players Only golf trip. Twelve of our closest friends, Ocean City, Maryland, four amazing golf courses, a really sick crib that Ken really hooked it up with on the bay with a hot tub, crazy nice patio, just an awesome weekend. We're going to jump into the PGA Championship from this past weekend and Justin Thomas taking down his second major and his second PGA. We're going to compare him and Jordan Spieth. These guys, their records are really similar now. We're going to see who's Team Jordan and who's Team Justin. Then coming up this week, we have the Charles Schwab Challenge, the final event in Texas for this year in the PGA Tour. We're looking for guys like Scotty Scheffler or Texas Natives to kind of bounce back after a pretty poor performance at Southern Hills. On the LPGA side, we have a really fun match play event this week at Shadow Creek in in Las Vegas, Nevada. A lot of fun, a crazy bucket list course, as well as match play is always entertaining. So thanks for being here. Let's have a great episode. We are back, a two-week hiatus. Uh, we are one week removed from the end of our annual golf trip. We talked about 12 guys, one house, lots of golf, four rounds of golf. No rules. No <laughs> rules. Weird way to start <laughs> this so is real world. On the way down, so we went down early. We actually found a course that was on the way down, but we uh, we changed up the plans. We went down early, so we had to backtrack a little bit. But we played a course called Nutter's Crossing in Salisbury, Maryland. Also costs sixty nine dollars, so do with that what you wish. But a really fun course. I actually like when I think about all the courses we played. We played some more expensive ones. This one was definitely on the lower end, but I think it kind of brought a lot to the table. Really quick greens, kind of like really really smooth greens as well. Lots of drivable par fours, which obviously I enjoyed. The well groomed nutter. Yeah, re- really nice nutter. Yep. What do you guys think about it? What do you think about the course? It ate me alive. I think I put like four balls in the water in the first two holes. The first hole? Yeah. It, it was rough. It was rough. My Wait, worst round, I think, of the whole trip. It, we're all sitting there on the first tee and the first group goes off, and I think they had to hit six tee shots and four of them. That might water. be the worst like opening tee shots for groups I've ever seen in my life. Zippy had a goose. <laughs> I've never seen a goose jump. That goose jumped like three feet in the air. Laid a couple of eggs. But no, it was, it was a really playable course. Granted, I was just riding along, observing, but... Very playable, yet added some intricate holes and kind of unique things going on. So it was it was a good mix of both and very playable. What'd you say, sixty nine dollars? That's that's like yeah, it's pretty good for yeah. down there. So. I think the biggest complaint I have from that course was that they wouldn't serve us booze until like ten thirty or something. Like it was ten, right? And we right. shut off at eleven. We're just there a little early. And we, we got there we waited fifty. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't wait ten minutes. <laughs> you ever seen twelve guys in a, in a in a pro shop staring at a clock? That's what we was doing. <laughs> All ordering a bacon, egg, and cheese. <laughs> they were good yeah. sandwiches though. Yeah. He was making like one sandwich at a time. Those were free though, right? Everyone walked out, and I get stuck with the bill. It's like I just assumed everyone paid. He's like, "No, no one has paid yet." I was like, "I guess I got." We it. all paid for our. Beers, we were going to so come just back. Assumed he put them on. Yeah. Uh, one interesting thing about that course when we so we played the, well, the front nine, the first part three was like almost two hundred yards into the wind, and the next part three was like a hundred yards. I thought that was really cool. Like I mean, a lot of times courses like I think we'll talk about it a little bit about Southern Hills and how their part threes were just ridiculously long, and it's kind of hard to relate to. But having a two hundred yard part three kind of thrown in there is good. But then having like a nice easy hundred yard one too is also really good. We uh, I was playing with Dub and our buddy Chuck and Dub, as you some of our listeners may not know, has like a bum wrist, so he's golfing with one hand, and he hit it further than Chuck on the par three <laughs> with one hand than Chuck did. Did you tie that hole right? 
Yeah, made a nice bogey there, one-handed. How far was that part? It was like 220, two, like 210, 220? The first one was like, yeah, like probably played like 210. We like all hit it like halfway. That we were, we like no like, one was prepared for I that. I think I went like 150, and yeah. all the groups were in front of us just looking back. We just like weren't paying attention. So yeah. embarrassed. It yeah. was a really brutal start because you get this nice easy warm-up, two short par fours, then here's this monster par three you got to hit a long iron into. And it was a tiny a lot green, of people struggled. Green. And it was a point in the course where all the groups could like turn around and watch you do it, which is always fun on the trip too. Yeah. It definitely so not not a course that's even remotely near the ocean, so it really didn't have the ocean vibe. It just kind of had like a, obviously a sandy vibe. But um, uh, then we moved on to Ocean City Golf Club the next well, day. Before we move on, we got to shout out our buddy Norm, who, yeah, who came up oh, hooked yeah. us up with shots on the sixteenth. So we were all uh, our, our groups were turning, and in the in the in the clubhouse in the by the bar, there was like an old guy like turning ninety something, getting a cake, and we're all shooting this shit with him. And one guy, one of his buddies, says, "I'm Norm." When you guys are done hole 14, I'm right behind. You come around, I'll give you all a shot. So and he did. Well, first group sure goes through, and Norm's nowhere to be found. And I'm like, this sucks. Like, hey, thanks, Norm. You can't keep time when you're pushing 80. <laughs> but we were playing so fast that we got to 18T four holes ahead of our last group. There's a four-hole gap in our 12-some. And Norm's on the green giving these guys shots. We run through the woods like a bunch of bears. Yeah, I was in the group that was on the green. This guy yeah. just starts walking out with this full tray of shots. Like, look at this. Where is this guy coming from? Well, he was from Frederick, or one of the guys is from Tony, like from yeah, the area, yeah. so they kind of knew us. Yeah, yeah. the guy whose birthday was, I think he was turning 90, so he shot in 86. It's, it's <laughs> amazing. Is that Pond still in Tawny Town? Yeah, what a question. Yeah. Ponds don't move, bud. <laughs> So we left there. We went to Ocean City Golf Club on Saturday. This was, uh, I think, probably this and Nutters were like the two cheaper courses before we turned in for Sunday and Monday. But um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But I think another theme here is like this course, I think, presented a lot of bang for its buck. It had some really pretty holes on the marsh. Um, it rained for like the first hole for us. We thought we were going to get washed out, but we didn't. So that was great. We all bought rain gloves and didn't even use them. But now <laughs> we got holes worth. They're beautiful. But I think on the back nine there was a there was a par four that was like 250 yards to the front, kind of dog leg left around the marsh, and then behind it was just miles of marsh, and there was this one like hundred foot tall deadwood tree right behind the green, kind of almost like an aiming point. And I thought it was just a beautiful course. What do you guys think? I thought it was a really fun course. It was definitely the the course I think was the most hazy for everybody leaving that one. It was was like that the that. new clubhouse? We went to the bar afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Oh, some, yeah, yeah, some yeah, left. yeah. We had a bowl of Jameson each. It was weird. Yeah. They yeah. were really nice to us there, though. If you're listening, they were cool They were cool really great. They we were, cool we were like the only people there. I mean, everyone was pretty much off the course because it wasn't a great day to play golf. So it was just, yeah, 10, 10 or 12 of us guys kind of sitting in the bar afterwards, and they were very hospitable. I know we're going to talk about this a lot more in the last two, but like, was this the first course where we noticed like the first six, seven holes being kind of more up and back, straightforward, and then on the back kind of opens up when you get to the bay, more or less? It did seem like that. It seemed like the courses were kind of like that, you know, that firm. Like it's more firm Interesting, I like think. that firm handshake to kind of get you started. But then, like, once you got into the meat of the course, man, it really started to crazy holes, crazy distances, lots of different things to carry. Yeah, lots of fun. Yeah, with Ocean City Golf Club, I think a, a lot of those par fives along the marsh were really interesting because you weren't really sure how far to hit off the tee, how far to cut off until the It was foggy, too, right? Yeah. At the end. Yeah, you'd shoot your, uh, your range finder and you get, like, 30 yards of the pings are just hitting the fog, like, right in front of you. It's tough. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because it has another course there. So I'd be interested to play that other one, see how that one compares. Yeah, Colin, was it the one we played was the Bay side? Newport Bay. Newport Bay. Yeah, was, good memory. How does that compare to the other one? Is that a better or equitable? So that one is along the water. Obviously, we talk about the marsh. I think the other one is a little um, lesser quality inland, just kind of, like, straight up and back, like, in the woods a little more. Nice. Yeah, and then, like we said, a recently renovated clubhouse, like a pretty nice facility they got there. Yeah, nice bar. Yeah, they stayed open a little late Uber. for us. Yeah, they were, they were supposed to close at 8, but they didn't close until 8.05, so thanks. <laughs> 
So then we went on Sunday, we went to, uh, uh, now we're starting to get into the kind of the cream of the crop for courses down in Ocean City. We went to Eagles Landing. This was a hundred plus dollar round. Well, this was the super foggy one. Right. This one was very a, foggy well, on the first tee. Yeah. You pretty much couldn't even see your ball coming down in the fairway. And then there were times throughout the round where, yeah, where was a par three is 140 yards. And I got my range finder out and it said six yards. So yeah, it was weird. It'd be like beautiful for a while. And yeah. then like for a two hole stretch, the fog would just come back like out of nowhere. It drops like 20 degrees. Yeah. And yeah, it was crazy. This Birds was one of those days where the boys were struggling to start. And it took us a while to get into it. I think Tippy and I both shot like a 12 on one hole and then just finally you know, combined. Yeah. No, no, no. Each. Oh. That was definitely each. But it was it was great. Once you once that fog cleared, the fog cleared in our brains. And it was real fun. I, I think the uh, the early turn with this one. So I think after the oh, sixth hole, the you sixth? get to go into the, the clubhouse and the double we're turn. able to refuel there. And I think that's really what kickstarted the you round. You needed after that, that first turn, too, because that sixth hole was a monster. You had to like, <laughs> yeah. hit it out and then straight left like 200 yards par four to the to the pin me, th- me, me and man were like this feels like a like a ninth hole we're like is this where yeah. the turn is we walked in and like no this is the sixth one we'll be, we'll be back on the ninth we, we stopped in the sixth and the ninth oh, I, we did the same thing yeah, yeah. we needed that because we were yeah we were hanging a little bit couple rounds couple nights on the golf trip but being able to get drinks after six and then get drinks after nine really helped us especially because the cart lady didn't take credit card and we were oh like, yeah quick you gotta get to the club yeah. i have was, to apologize to tell you on this one because i did have a club throw on the back and it almost took his head <laughs> off it was the oh, best stretch, the turns table it, it was the wow. best stretch of golf i had played in a while i started at the back hyped myself up a little bit seven straight pars i never do that seven I'm straight and then oh, i yeah, just I absolutely that. duffed a chip on the eighth hole and i let it go i'll <laughs> say this course it kind of it kind of dilly-dallied around there in the middle of the back nine like holes like 11 through 14 were kind of like, I don't know, run in the mill, but then that thing, this course finished very strong. You had drivable par four, par three over the marsh, and then 18 was kind of this layup par four with marsh left, right, everywhere, like a really pretty finish. Yeah, yeah. I think Ben really enjoyed this because there are a couple drivable par fours. He could just take target <laughs> practice at us. Oh, yeah, that was Standing awful. on the green. I think we we dodged a couple missiles multiple times. It was like number 16 was like 330, but it was really pretty downwind, and I pulled out, I pulled my first ball a little left. It hits the bridge over the green. They hear it clear. Plank. And then yeah, they just turn back and Ben's here. just picking his tee up, walking back. Like, <laughs> and then someone else is going to go. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Let me reload real quick. And then just hit this absolute dime that lands like 20 feet from the green. And I yelled for it. And these guys, they're like turtles. They got their <laughs> shells. Oh, it was so funny. To be fair, though, Ben offered to go in the first group, and you guys didn't let him. So that was his payback. Oh, we were yeah. trying to let Chaz just go by himself. And that <laughs> the only complaint I had about this course is that the Humane Society was on the 15th floor. <laughs> there was like a ton yeah. of dogs. They wouldn't there. let me pet the dog that was walking. I was very upset. That the was dog. not a friendly looking dog. It was the not, dogs but were, I was ready to love The dogs are barking of disapproval at a lot of our That was shots. also like another drivable par four, and yeah, I pulled a little left toward, <laughs> pulled a little left toward the dogs. And they started barking, but I think it was just... No, I think that was cheer. they were cheering for you. <laughs> One thing I do remember about this hole, I think it was the tenth hole. The fog just rolls in out of nowhere, but it was like a we saw it. It was like a drive ball. It was like two ninety to the green or something like that. Tippy hits probably the best drive he's ever hit. Goes two dead straight. We thought he's on the green. We get up, the fog clears, and he's just like 35, 40 yards short of it. And we're just like, <sighs> but it was straight. It was yeah, it was beautiful. We shot. thought it was in the hole for the a little. Whole bit. group got pars. It was great. But it was just like Tippy was so defeated at that point. Then he rattled off those parts. I was proud of him. I think this was Cover. the most enjoyable match that I witnessed all week. A lot of anticipation. Colin and Chuck. <laughs> Colin got oh, yeah. father and son pretending they were way worse than they were. He gave this guy what <clears throat> five strokes. five strokes, and I think 
Chuck played out of his mind. Well, he wasn't drinking, which was the big problem. Yeah, he wasn't drinking. Seven holes in, I was You're like, so Chuck, Chuck. What, what do you actually shoot? He You're said, listening well, a little bit. I was like, what do you actually shoot? He goes, well, I shoot like 87, 88, which is what I shoot. And I'm like, oh, great. So I'm giving you five strokes, and you shoot just what I do. It makes a lot Colin's of sense. playing his heart out. Five I strokes think he, and ten beers. He dug a deep hole early, but Chuck was just relentless. Didn't give him anything back. This course was pretty, man. And then on the back, those last four or five holes were really, really. Was, was it the one with the stream was going through that the boat back yeah. there? And they also yeah. had some like. Yeah, some really low lying with no guardrail bridges, and I think oh those the are bridge, yeah, beautiful. that's what yeah. we kept talking about. I was like, I know I'm going to drive off this. <laughs> yeah, oh, very, that was very really easy. Nice, too. Yeah. You know, so you're talking about matches of the week. One match we didn't talk about was the first day at Nutters, where it was Ken, oh and yeah. Colin versus Tyler and Zippy. And I think Tyler and Zippy were up like we I don't were know, at least maybe three, three or, four or three holes. or something through like twelve holes. And Positivity. Then, then they started making the them. Car. We were loving life. I think we Ken won and, like seven or eight in a row. After Ken that. and Colin started making them. Yeah, put two footers. Started making them putt. Straight sounded. We unraveled. Yeah, made us put, made Zippy put a three footer and he missed it. And we, I don't think we won a hole after that. Does that mean I'm def- undefeated in matches right now? Even though I'm the worst, we'll have let's, to go to the boat. Let's run it back. I don't think that match counts because you all were like two hours behind the rest yeah, of us. Sincerely, so I think you played too slow. We're on 18T and you guys <laughs> finally got to norm on 14. <laughs> there was no one behind us, no one in front of us. We were having a good time. We got no, all we, the we way in front of you. Don't we worry. got all the way back to our house <laughs> and I realized I lost my head cover and forgot my credit card. But thank God you guys are still there. Yeah. <laughs> So we wrapped up the week on Monday at Rum Point, which I think is probably considered to be one of the top five courses out there. Um, it didn't disappoint. Um, greens were great. Course was in great condition. Uh, decent fog there, right? Uh, no, yeah, it's just storm. high winds. Just high winds. Like storm 50 mile an hour wind. One of those pretty courses where like, it's kind of like the iconic like north northwest look in my mind where the clubhouse kind of sits in like the middle of the course and the course kind of goes around it and you can see like the wooded side and then the bay side. Um, but a really great course, lots of wind. Uh, we played one part five that was, that was like crazy. It's like the sixth or seventh hole or something. Eight, eight maybe. Six, seven, eight, eight nine seven, coming seven, back right. was like yeah. wild. And yeah. it was a yeah, it was a par four, par five. It was probably five ten, but it played easily like six hundred yards. I think we hit. We used like Ken's drive with a three wood out to the right. I had driver off the deck. And we still had hundred and fifty yards, and it was crazy. <laughs> you were like three wood drive pitch putt. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, three wood driver pitch putter. Yeah. yeah, I was in the first group. I think we turned to get on that hole, and all of a sudden the wind's just getting up to like a steady thirty mile per hour, and you're just like, "Fuck, what do you do here?" So this is the course too that we took a little bit of a break. We we, we got through nine. I guess some of the guys went some of the, some of the guys went to ten, but we got through nine. And then, I mean, there were there were quite a few like sixty plus year old men that are like, pull up Thunder Tracker. I'm telling you, if you pull <laughs> yeah. this up, it's going to tell you that you're screwed. I saw my future in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> so we go and we get some orange, fresh, fresh, freshly squeezed orange crushes, really solid. Yeah. We obviously had our fair share of transfusions as well, but uh, oh, yeah. good hot dogs. Yeah, great, solid great food. food. I mean, it was like I don't know. I think that once we did that, I'm like, man, we need to normalize this like 30 minute turn. Like, get <laughs> and in, all courses now. Yeah, just this. make it normal. Like, just that was let's really just ruin pace of play. It's fine. To all our listeners out there, email us if you want the 30 minute turn. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess people behind you can just pass you, right? I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah. I just we never do it. Usually, we're just getting drinks and going. Like, I'm only eating like 25 percent of the time. So I'm like, let's just go to the back nine. But I was kind of nice to sit there, regroup a little because that wind got up and I was not playing my best golf. And I know yeah. that when we turned i started playing better too yeah. any other thoughts on the course well, I think that we was were my playing a, course, uh, we were playing a scramble too yeah we did play like a modified scramble some guys were playing their own ball out kind of thing but that that definitely helped like as we get to this third and fourth round on the trip yeah keeping your own score and making it competitive is very challenging to do together those picklebacks will catch up with you i mean we had what 25 picklebacks over the course of the weekend we did spend quite a few nights at Pickles Pub, the same affiliated Shout out Pickles Pub, same affiliated pub as the one that's outside Camden Yards in Baltimore. Um, yeah, we closed that thing down a few times. P 
pizza shop next to it. Highly recommend. Don't know what it tastes like, but highly recommend. It was hot. We was had hot. a lot of fun. Yeah. My mouth is still burning. In my memory, it's, it said it was really good, but I don't remember what it tastes like. It's best if you drop it a couple times on the walk home from the pizza place. <laughs> that was the night too, where we got like we're living. We were living on like 16th Street, and we're going down to First Street to go to the bars. I'm like Uber. All right, so we get an Uber. Uber still takes like five or eight minutes. I'm thinking to myself, God, if we would have walked, this would take it forever, right? So we leave this bar because the first bar we go to closes at like 9.30, unbeknownst <laughs> to us. So then we're walking and Zippy's telling us like, oh, it's just around the corner. I'm in like jeans and flip-flops. I'm sweating. <laughs> and then like we didn't get to like 12th Street where the pickles is. I'm like, you just made me walk 12 streets. Like there's no way I would have signed up for this. We touched the sand though. Ken yeah. did touch the sand. So was it what, plus 1,000? Yeah, tell it was me, uh, 2,000. We got the Fuck. We never go to the beach and Ken touch the beach. So yep. new things every year. Yep. Obviously, we got pretty lucky with the weather. When we first looked at the weather for this trip, it looked like it was going to rain pretty much every day. And it kind of did. But we actually only probably played two or three holes in the rain. Yeah, the it wasn't bad week. at all, surprisingly. Like, I mean, it, with this trip, I start looking at the weather like a month before and just constantly like update the group. <laughs> and it just looked horrible. And I was so glad. It just it worked out perfectly as so we can just kind of shit talk Eric, who was bitching about it's too cold in May. In Ocean City, and it was like 75 yeah. degrees every day. It was perfect. Yeah, because it, it started to kind of dissipate, and like we noticed that our first couple rounds were going to be okay. But when we got to Rum Point on the last day, like we really thought we were kind of screwed. And when we turned is when the storm, storm kind of started rolling in, and you could see the lightning and hear the thunder, and we thought like, oh, we're in for it. And I'm not even sure it actually rained. We got so lucky. It kind of skirted us on the north side. I mean, just so lucky. It was actually beautiful on the back, not yeah. too hot. Oh, perfect. Sunny. Yeah, Golf God smiling on us. I would say that you talk about that fog and that mist, though. Like when that fog came around and it dropped the degrees a couple, you know, it was like solid, like mid mid seventies, maybe low eighties with the sun. But it got into those mid sixties when you were wearing pants because you weren't sure if it was going to rain. That that cooled it off nice. Cool. All right, that wraps it up for our golf trip. 2022 Ocean City. We'll get you next time. 2023 is number nine for us, so probably somewhere on the East Coast. But 2024, that's our 10 years. So we'll, mm. we'll be talking about where we're going for that one. We'll be back in a second to talk about the PGA Championship. What a win for Justin Thomas at Southern Hills Country Club in Tulsa, Oklahoma. A course that's hosted a variety of different championships from the PGA to the U.S. Open. This is what they're like their seventh time back here, which is like pretty high on the number of like the frequency of any venue, including ones like Pinehurst and Pebble and things like that. So kind of like this hidden gem. Uh, I certainly didn't know much about the course, uh, uh, but we got to give props to JT. I mean, the guy shoots three under on a Sunday where very much, very few people were even under par. He shanks the ball in like the sixth hole and then plays like five under golf from there on out. Like doesn't make a mistake. Uh, played amazing in the playoff against Will Zalatoris, two under through three holes. Again, of course, that very like almost nobody shot under par and he was probably six under on the holes that were played in regulation and in the playoff. So really good stuff. Uh, what are we thinking about for JT, guys? Well, it really made me feel like he was one of us when he was 100 yards out on that par three. really made me relive my another's experience. Um, but to see him recover from that was pretty awesome. Speaking of one of us, how about the drive he hit on the 18th hole in his, in his um, final round? I mean, he was about 20 feet off the ground, a little cut. Um, That's about flat. I've seen that shot about a million times. Hey, what's one that word far? to describe your golf game? <laughs> flat. <laughs> flat. I think JT, like, so he does that thing that, 
I think every really, really good pro does in that he eliminates a side of the golf course. Like JT very rarely ever misses Ken the ball that. left. Yeah. Ken also does that. Yeah. I Ken and JT have a lot in common. Yeah. But I think like that ball that Same Justin, age. I'm like not 100% sure that ball is even coming off the middle of his club face. I think it's coming off like a little bit healy and that's why it comes low and fades. But JT knows that whatever he's doing with his golf swing and his driver, it's never going to go left. And that's eliminating the side of the golf course. That's essentially why DJ was so successful when he got really hot there for like a year. He just never missed the ball left. Yeah, I, was, I thought it was really cool to, we kind of talked about it in the Perez interview, how you haven't really seen where like someone like cards something like relatively like decent and they actually like managed to win the tournament and it, it actually kind of shook out that way for what maybe the first time, second time this year. And I, th- I just thought it made, it made it really interesting and made it really exciting, a tournament what otherwise maybe really wasn't that memorable until, you, you know, Mito collapse and all that kind of stuff. So it was really, it was just made it really fun to watch. Yeah, like I think the course was challenging, but I think you're right. Like nothing going into the back nine on Sunday really felt like it was climactic. And all of a sudden, things started to get really tight. And I think it really saved this championship because I, I think we'll talk about the course and our thoughts on the course. And I think the course is a really nice course, but I don't really think it was like that crazy fun to watch. Lots of 470-yard par fours that are all pretty much the same. Like they delg like a little left or a little right. And maybe have a water that crosses at like 250 that is irrelevant for these players. But Back nine on Sunday, you had probably six guys that were all in contention. And because this course is playing so difficult, like we saw with Mito, anybody could blow up and make a bogey or a double bogey on any hole. The most fun I had watching was seeing Tiger making the cut on Friday. That he was like the last four or five holes was like pretty impressive. I mean that. I mean until Sunday, that was like the I think the biggest ticket. He was outside the cut line and he shot like one under his last six holes. He made like two twenty foot putts and then went up and down for a par (laughs) out of the sand too. That that like yeah, that was pretty awesome. Just kind of like he knew it. Like he definitely knew where he was. He had somebody crunch the numbers. Like what's the cut going to be? And he's like, all right, now I got to go one under these last six holes. And it's like. He just can because he's Tiger Woods. He was like, you know, he's like yeah. six over to that point through, you know, 36 holes, but then he can just turn it on, and it's crazy. I was getting real excited early on in that tournament. You had John Daly, you know, tied for the lead through six holes. Tiger comes out, birdies first, and I was like, oh, my God, is it going to be in the fucking 2000s? <laughs> was that picture real that he went and was playing slots yeah. afterwards? Yep. After yeah, after he had His an PR team team was team Hooters, Hooters for dinner after yeah. he hit and the slot. right to the casino. you got to give him credit, though. I mean, going out there and shooting a pretty low number. Yeah, I mean – I saw some post that which was made me laugh is the idea of like, you know, it's ten years from now and it's John Daly and Tiger Woods riding a cart in the final group of the PGA <laughs> championship with fucking uh, Charlie and John Daly Jr. chasing them in <laughs> the bags. That's funny. Are we gonna talk about the cart thing? Yeah, I think we should. We got a lot to talk about for the PGA, but let's go ahead and chat about so John Daly coming out with comments after that he thinks that if Tiger would have just ridden in a cart and not trying to like let his ego and bravado, you know, prevail. If he just would have rode in a cart with this bad leg he's got, he thinks that he could easily win this tournament. I think I kind of agree with him. I'm not sure why Tiger would be tentative to do that. I mean, I know it's an image thing. He's a, he's very much a classical golfer, so I could see him not like wanting to, you know, disrespect the game in a sense, but do you think we see Tiger in a cart someday? I don't think we do. I don't think I think Tiger's pride's going to be way too too big there for him to actually get in the cart. And I think he said before that he wouldn't wouldn't do it. Like he does it does it in like the father son, the PNC thing. But I think in any like especially at this point, kind of shaping up that he's pretty much only gonna play majors. I don't think he's gonna ever quote unquote disgrace the majors with that. And nor do I think, you know, things like the RNA would let him do it. I think John Daly is this crazy poster child for this too because he comes out so publicly when an event won't let him ride in a damn car. He's like, these guys are just yeah, discriminating against me because I have said 17 knee surgeries. Like, So we know I know a lot more about which events to allow carts now than I used to, but I think you're right. I don't think Tiger will ever end up in a cart, but I think 
you got to see him contending really easily at a course like St. Andrews, which is quite literally like one of the flattest courses yep. they ever play. So I know that walking the courses doesn't help him, but it doesn't seem like he really is in pain until he hits like a shot that tweaks it the wrong way. I, I don't feel like yeah. wa- him walking is a big deal. It's those shots where he like turns his knee the ro- his leg the wrong way. That's when he gets down and starts wincing and says that he's in pain. Yeah, I, but it's, once you do it, then then he's then has to walk on it, I think is the problem. I think the walking just wears his leg out. Yeah, I think it's a yeah. fatigue And thing. so then he loses the ability to, you know, plant on that, I guess, I forget which leg it is, but he loses it's the ability right leg, to make yeah. the right, yeah, to, he can't to push. plant on it and yeah. push off of it. And so the more he walks, the more, you know, muscle fatigue or whatever he has. And, and we saw that a lot on, what was it, Saturday? I yeah. mean, he just could not turn on the ball. I mean, he's quite literally hitting his drives like 260 and yeah. then these high buttery cuts because he can't get around on the ball. So I think to that point, it's not like about him. I don't think that his, I don't think he withdrew because of the injury. He withdrew because of like the taxing on like the muscles. I, th- I think it's probably, I think his bones and tendons are fine. I think it's the muscles for him. I also kind of thought that was a, almost like a classy move too. Cause let's be honest, like the coverage was all about Tiger the whole time, regardless of where he was, you know, he was always the featured group. Everyone wanted to see him, you know, they weren't really showing a lot of like Mito, you know, charging up the leaderboard on Saturday and stuff. So I think it was kind of classy that he let whoever was actually going to win the tournament, you know, kind of take that. In this case, it ended up being his boy, JT. But I kind of like that move from him, honestly. Yep, so kudos to JT. But we also had, like, you know, this packed leaderboard of all this young talent and guys that we've seen, you know, since we started this podcast, we've been watching golf a lot more. And so we know these names as, like, household names for us. But a lot of people don't know who they are. So we have, like, Will Zalatoris and Mito Pereira. Cam Young. These are guys that are all under 26, 27. Most of them haven't been around on tour for more than a year or two. And these guys are contending at a golf course that's considered to be one of the best championship tests in the world and playing really good and looking like they know what they're doing. I think that Mito had his crumble down 18, but he looked really pretty solid. I mean, it's a windy course. It's His short game looked really solid. I know he was, what, three over going into 18, but he looked like he was going to hold on. It's just... uh Lots of fun to watch. I love watching young guys contend at majors. Yeah, the, the storyline coming into Sunday was all about, okay, it's, it was a four-horse race. All four of these guys, young, nobody had ever won on the PGA Tour, and it's like, who's going to get their first victory on tour? And then, you know, we saw it with each guy. You could kind of see where they started to crack and, and fade under the pressure. I mean, uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick never really hit the ball well. He looked all out of sorts. Uh, maybe that's because what he was wearing on Sunday. <laughs> but no, he was too busy writing down every Blueberry. shot. He had. And then Zalatoris, every time I look over, he's playing off a cart path. He's chipping out of a <laughs> creek. I mean, he he made a lot of clutch saves down the down the path. But, you know, he still just didn't have his stuff. And then Mito, of course, you know, struggled with his swing a little bit all day long. And, of course, it all fell apart on 18. But, you know, that's... That's what's so tough about winning a major is if you haven't done it before and you haven't felt that pressure, it's it's so tough to put together 18 holes of being able to go out there and make pars when you don't have your stuff. I think usually what makes major championship courses what they are is the greens. And I think that this course did something a little different than most championship courses do and that they slowed the greens down a little bit. But in the reconstruction from the architect Gil Hans, he kind of made the greens slope a lot more. So I think when greens are slower – like obviously you got to give it that little bit extra oomph and coming down the stretch on 18 when everything gets tight like we saw Mito I mean Mito's putt on 17 was only a 10 footer 
and he left it a, a ball or two short. I can't. I, I think you get that putt to him 99 more times, it never comes up short. But you get a little tight, greens are a little slow, and you can't quite get it there. I thought it was interesting how their strategy, like the course setup this week, was to not mow the greens on days, like before days they knew were going to be real windy. Like on Friday, Friday, Thursday night into yeah. Friday morning, they didn't mow the greens because they knew it was going to be windy. It's almost like they were trying to like avoid the backlash of yeah. like they mowed it like normal. And oh, you get like a wing foot situation shit. with yeah. Phil where, yeah, like the ball just won't stay on the green kind of thing. Yeah. But I think for me, like thinking about how like I play golf, it'd be so hard for me if I know if I play a course one day and then I go back and play the same course the next day and the greens are like way slower than they were yesterday yeah. or way faster. Like that would throw me off so much, especially after over four rounds. Yeah, I think the one thing, so, you know, like we always talk about it and I think Augusta sets a standard for like how undulating and high that their greens are from the fairways. Um, I think we all know that, so that's why we respect Augusta like we do. But I think that this course, TV is just not going to do it justice like it should. I think on TV, it doesn't look like that exciting of a course. But in person, you would look at these greens and be like, oh, my God. Like, that guy just looked like he had a 10-footer. But it's literally going up three feet, and you can't even tell from the TV. Yeah, I mean, with this Bermuda grass around the greens that they, like, with, <laughs> that they let grow up, I mean, it's impossible to appreciate how difficult it plays around those greens because you're always chipping into the grain, and you see, guys, you can't putt if you're off the green because the ball is going to go nowhere. Right up in the air. So it really asked a lot of questions of these guys' short game that you really couldn't quite tell if you were just kind of watching it casually. But it was really tough around these greens to get up and down for pars. That's actually a big thing I noticed as someone who puts off the fringe a lot. Like literally, these guys were like one well, foot, yeah. like two feet off, and they weren't putt. They weren't putting. I was like, eh, well, I'm surprised what? we didn't see them get a little more creative with like hybrids and three woods and stuff. But yeah, in Bermuda, when you're putting into the grain, that first that first motion of the ball is just to go straight down and yeah. pop straight up. And especially do with Bermuda around the greens when they cut them really tight, and it was like it rained a little bit this week, so it was a little soupy at times. Bermuda, like. I don't even know. It's barely even a grass. It's pretty much just like loosely sits on top of the dirt. So chipping on Bermuda when it's wet is a nightmare. I, mean, I, I think we got to talk about the sand too. That got a lot of play over the weekend. The fact that the sand was a little more grainy, a little more pebbly. These guys weren't getting a lot of spin, as, as much spin as they're used to. So you saw a lot of more run out on these sand shots that uh, kind of threw them off a little bit this weekend, I think. It was interesting because on Thursday, everybody really struggled out of the bunkers. Like, yeah. Nobody was the learning the ball curve close. was steep, yeah. And then, you know, these are pros. They adapted pretty well. I mean, after Thursday, Friday, after they got a little practice, more accustomed to that sand, they started to do a little bit better. But it was wild watching some of those shots on Thursday of like, what are you doing? I can't really understand why it got so much like hype. I get it. It was different. It wasn't as like fine that you'd see it, like, say, in Augusta, where they like just ship in like, you know, ground up like granite or whatever the hell it is. Quartz, yeah. Quartz, yeah. But the thing is, like, they played what? Two, three practice rounds, everybody played kind of thing. Like, And these are the best players in the world. Like, how are they not able to adjust to this and get it out and kind of get it to do somewhat what they need to? I don't understand why it was such a big deal. I think it's a course management thing. I think that you probably saw some players complaining about it, but then as the week went on, they, they start to realize, like, everyone's playing the same course. Um, but you, when you're in a bunker and you're short-sighted on most of these tour courses, these guys feel very confident they can get the ball up and down unless the greens are running like a 14 um, in this case, right, I think the I think the most interesting thing about this sand is that um, if you get too much sand between your ball and the club, it's just quite literally not going to have any backspin. So these guys were trying to hit a little closer to the ball, take a little bit more loft, which actually produced some really crazy bad, like borderline like shanks out of bunkers, which I kind of really enjoyed to watch. Other thing I got, I'm kind of curious about how everyone felt about with the whole setup and everything. With there was a lot of like overlapping, like you're hitting your tee shot over the fourth green kind of shit, and all. And there was like seven holes or so that had this. How did you guys feel about that? Like it kind of like would slow up play a little bit, but 
the same time, I felt like from a viewer's perspective, it'd be a really cool spot. A lot of places you didn't can kind of like sit. Didn't somebody get hit in the head or something? Oh yeah, Aaron Wise yeah. got hit in the head by Cam Smith, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. bad, like on the fly, like yeah, could like have died. I think that was just while, a bad right? tee shot. Yeah, yeah that, that was yeah, that was yeah, nothing, nothing to do with, with the tee box. Just standing over a three footer. Oh, didn't Sage Steele get hit too? Did you hear that? Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, what are we doing here? But yeah, I mean, this is the product of like distance ruling the game now like in order to make this course long enough they got to bring tee boxes in places yeah, where i mean the members aren't playing from these tees so they had to kind of create some makeshift tee boxes and led to having to tee off over other greens and you know even there are a couple holes like the greens are right next to each other like nine and 18 i think we're really close you had to be mindful of the tee shot who's putting on the ninth hole and it was. It definitely added a pretty interesting twist with all that going on. Yeah, so we're looking at a graphic here where kind of you hit into two green, and then you walk off the back of two green kind of over a creek into like a tightly mown area. And and within 30 yards of you is five green, three tee, six tee, and then the six tee actually hits across the tee, yeah, the, the, the third tee that you're hitting. And to over the, the fifth green. Or to the sixth green. green, and then right behind the sixth green, which goes over the sixth green, is the seventh tee. I mean, it's just, this is a crazy graphic. I mean, these these holes, you're right, right here with these four or five tees that they're moving, they're probably able to add like another couple hundred yards, and they had to. I mean, I don't think they had to. I think the coverage was really good, so it didn't really seem like, although at one point, Mito, Mito was iced because uh, it was Alatoris hit his ball, and like I think number six is the par three yeah so zalatoris hits it kind of long and right on the car path yeah. takes them like half an hour to do this drop and then chip and then make bogey but then they still have to tee off on seven because it's quite literally a foot over the six screens so i think mito and uh cameron you know who was playing with mito fitzpatrick, Matt fitzpatrick, fitzpatrick yeah. they were probably sitting on six t for a half an hour well, yeah. they also said during the redesign that they brought this creek back into play on what was it the water was in play on 15 of the 18 holes like to some degree right so they wanted to keep that creek tight to all these holes and that's probably why they're kind of all ganged in that area yeah i just thought like from a viewer perspective like we talked about it a little bit in the past like i think it'd be a really that's a great spot from a you know who are the fans attending like you could just post up in that area we were just talking about you can see action happening on seven of the holes without having to move all day. And I just thought it would be it was a really cool from the from that perspective. Like it might be frustrating for the players, but yeah, I, a grand, I liked it a lot. Grandstand here where you can see two green, three T, five green and six T. Yeah, that's really nice. And then you can almost peer out and see seven seven or six green and seven T. So I agree. So uh any other thoughts on the course? Yeah, I love the finishing stretch. Yeah, you know, it was agree. every other hole was really tough par four very gettable par five or very tough hole, very good. Like 17, being able to drive it with a three wood. I mean, as we saw on Sunday, that, that produced a lot of fireworks, which was really fascinating to see. And then 18 is this impossible par four where you got to hit a great drive and then an even better approach shot to be able to make a par. It, it kind of created that climactic ending that we all want. Right? I think so, something that's going to get looked over because you would just think it's so irrelevant is who the hell picked the holes for the aggregate playoff did a great job. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't have picked oh, three God. better holes. You got a par five that is like 570. These guys are, you know, getting home in two with good shots. They got a drivable par four and then probably one of the harder par fours um, on 18. Uh, probably on tour all year. I mean, you're right. Guys are hitting drives, 330, piping them down the middle, still have like a buck 60 left in. I mean, just an absolute beast of a hole. And 16 is a part, they played as a par four. It was like 540 yards. Yep. It's a par five for the members, but a beast of a par four on 16 coming down the stretch. Yeah, I think uh, push comes to shove. I think that, I don't know, I think the consensus is that the course was a fun test. It was a nice mix up. Um, I might say slightly overrated, just a little bit. I mean, I think a really great course, lots of fun holes, but I don't really think it competes even remotely within Augusta. 
No, it's definitely no Augusta, but I mean, it, it at the same time, it, it's so different than I feel like all the other courses that I feel like I, we see the PGA at. Like, it's not, I don't think it even compares to any of those. I think it's in its own kind of like bracket. So I also wonder if like, maybe they should have had some more flags around the course because I feel like the wind kind of felt a little undocumented to me. Like they would put the thing up on the screen like 15 miles an hour, but it just, I don't know, maybe they needed a new, a new graphic or something like that because I don't think it was apparent how much the wind was affecting the golf ball on Sunday. So now that Justin uh, Thomas has uh, two majors, both PGAs, uh, his best friend or one of his best friends, Jordan Spieth, has three majors, no PGAs. Ironically, they, together they have the Grand Slam. But I think we got to open up the floor because I think now that Justin has this second PGA and he's really sustained his spot in the top 10 over the past four or five years, you know, what, what boat are you guys on here? Are you Team Jordan or are you Team Justin? I'm going to be Team Jordan for life. He, I mean, oh, he's my, surprise. He's my boy. We've said, we've said it way back, but... I, I was looking at this, and it's actually really interesting. Like, Jordan, obviously, he's been on the tour a little bit longer. He came out 2013. JT didn't make it onto the tour until 2015 after like, going through Q school and stuff. But their, like, their trajectory, like, everything has pretty much been identical, but just that two-year difference. Two, yeah. yeah, so, like, it took Jordan two years to win his first major. It took JT two years to win his first major. And you look at, like, I put up a graph or whatever on the official world golf rankings. It is, like, identical, like it is kind of creepy when they rose and then Jordan fell off in you know I think it was like late 2019 or something like that or late 2018. Um, so I mean and, JT is te- technically, if all things held consistent, JT's due for a little drop out of the top it, it, 20. He here. would theoretically be. And what I noticed was it, Jordan got married in late 2018 and then roughly you know two and then fell off 2021 and now Jordan or now JT's he's back and even better. JT's now <laughs> supposed to get married. I'm curious if we're going to see that same thing. We also saw that with uh, Ricky Fowler and now he's kind of started to yeah. slowly peak your pri- back your, as your well. Your priorities change a little bit after you get married, but you always come back a better man. <laughs> it's just it's just kind of like interesting. Like I I won't be surprised if you do see a little bit of a, a drop off here and you see that kind of transition and he's going to have that same kind of trajectory just based off of Wow, player. the guy wins a PGA championship, and the first thing you're saying is you expect a drop-off? <laughs> yeah, I do. Hey, guys, pump the brakes. I'm of the JT camp here. I mean, I'm Preach. I'm thinking of what have you done for me lately. Let's just look at his stats since 2017, 2018. He has nine tour victories, including two World Golf Championships, a BMW Championship, and a Players' Championship, and now a major. Guess what Jordan Spieth's done in that stretch? He's won the Valero and the Heritage. He got married. He had a baby. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's once Once JT has a baby, he's coming right back up. Yeah, I agree with Colin here. I don't, I don't even think it's a debate. I mean, I think, I think like, career-wise, yeah, but the last four or five years, I mean, no way. Oh, it's no JT. question about the last four or five years. Well, not, we just discussed the fact that, that talking Jordan about career right off. We're talking career. about career. Oh, okay, career. Sorry. Like you guys saying David Duvall's better than Tiger Woods in 2000. Yeah. Are, yeah, you, I, are you t- honestly telling me that if, if neither of them win another major, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, JT's the better player? Yes, because yes. No. this is going to be the one that ends it all. Wrong. Likely. J- JT is going to be the better of the two, and I may not be the best talent evaluator, but you know who probably is? Tiger Woods. Best buds. Tiger and JT are dogs. You don't see Tiger hitting up Jordan, giving him a call after any wins. Tiger recognizes game. Tiger recognizes JT. Charlie's godfather, right? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, with with all due respect to JT's future wife, I think the best marriage in his life now is with Bones, with his (laughs) caddy. I think that's really I think that's going to go untalked about. You're right. And I think JT's biggest weakness, I think he just puts too much pressure on himself. Maybe it's because he looks at himself as like, Tiger's little brother, and I have to be Tiger. Mm. But we saw a lot this weekend. Bones kind of talked him off the ledge multiple times and said, look, you're putting way too much pressure on yourself. You're the best player out here. Just go out and play, and 
We saw that uh, come to fruition on Sunday. It was like 11, 11 top 10s and 19 starts I saw a stat today and with bones on the bag. Pretty good. Yeah, and it, I mean, some of the coolest clips of watching Thursday, Friday was, you know, this this big discussion between JT and Bones about, you know, what the wind's doing, where should we play this, and he had some clinical rounds in the worst of the conditions. I have to say, I really do enjoy watching Spieth on TV, though. It's like, I, I know some people hate it, and like how much it. he talks to himself, and how, I just think, I just, I'm, I, I can't look away. I, it's I, so he, relatable, like, all I just the think I like watching it. I don't, I mean, whatever you think about him complaining about himself, I think it's entertaining. He's TV. also much better about his word choice than other people. But they both play like a very exciting style of golf too. Like Jordan, a little bit more of the magician, and then JT a little bit more of like the craftsman working the ball in left to right. Jordan more or less hitting it all over the planet and then just surprising you with his score. I think that like the longevity of their careers, obviously I think Jordan has the longer pedigree, but you're right, JT's been playing incredible golf the last three or four years. Um, I, I, it's so hard for me because I'm a really big Jordan Spieth fan, but I think what JT's doing, and then you speak about like him and Tiger being cut from the same cloth, kind of mentally and then physically. I mean, I, you can tell that JT is just taking this more serious than I think anyone in the world is right now. And I, I think we should just step back and appreciate the fact that we can even have this conversation right yeah, it's, now. It's true. I mean, Jordan was uh, what? What's was his dire. world golf ranking? And he's completely revitalized his game. I think his putters let him down a little bit, but he's. Definitely back into the thick of it. Same with JT. He hadn't won since the players in 2019, I believe. So the fact, I mean, these guys are great stewards of the game. If we're trying to grow, I mean, they're they're model, you know, professionals or whatever out there. So it's it's pretty cool that they're going to be at the top of the game uh, going forward. And they're literally our age. So you can watch them. Speeth is one month older than me, so I like I hold that very tightly to my chest. It's if I was here. a month older, I might be that good too. Yeah, it's, it's really wild. Like I check him out next month. He'll be a new man. <laughs> I think that's a great point though, because you you hear about all like the the big rivals, you know, Tiger, Phil, and, you know, Jack and Arnie, all that kind of stuff. But like none of them have actually been like too competitive or this close. I feel like historically that we've seen so i really hope jt doesn't have that fall off and like jordan continues that to kind of get back into his form because that'll be great to actually be able to watch them like come down you know the 18th at augusta fighting for the fucking master the green jacket augusta is that a new i course? did say augusta <laughs> but it's, it's fine i think that the, when we look at this graph in the world rank and jordan having that dip i think just is is exactly who jordan is and i think jt being top top six golfer for 20 years is exactly who jt is but at the end of the season you know in a normal year i think that jordan would be the guy with more wins but jt would have more like cuts in top tens i will say even though i'm team jordan i did notice like looking at his wins he definitely has those higher pedigree wins like i think he's got two wgc's he's obviously got his two pga's and then he's got yeah players and the players and jordan's obviously got more majors but um he definitely jt does i think have some better wins yeah i think jt definitely plays better when the lights shine brightest and the conditions are tough and it just allows him to play all those creative shots and he can you know really think about his game and work his way around a golf course versus i think he struggles more than jordan playing those birdie fest tournaments Yep, I agree. So, any other guys we were impressed with? We haven't talked much about like Cam Smith or not Cam Smith, Cam Young and Will Zalatoris. I mean, I, Colin, I know you love this Cam Cam kid. I mean, he is really solid. Cam Young is turning into one of my favorite players to watch. I mean, he's got that slow backswing, almost like Hideki, and then he just powers through, bombs it like 330, 340 down the fairway. But his short game is so impressive. He gets up and down from anywhere. Except bunkers. He's not good out of bunkers. I just, that's the only stat I heard. Yeah. Sand was tough. Great out of bunkers. But did you notice that he lines those chips on his back foot like me? I mean, I did notice <laughs> <a loser. laughs> something there. 
I did comment in that in our text group. Yeah, so like, I don't know, I guess when, when the ball's playing down in the rough, you're trying to get it on the ground early. You want to play the ball kind of on your early. back foot. But Cam Young was quite literally playing this thing a foot back from his back foot, and Colin will do that all the time. So <laughs> yeah, Colin you, and Cam Young. You can take it to the bank. Cam Young's going to be our uh, rookie of the year on the PGA Tour. He's got four top top fives already this year. I mean, that's insane, a variety of uh, tournaments. I mean, we talk a lot about Jordan or Justin. I mean, these kids are those kids are phenoms. Jordan and Justin will go down as some of the best golfers of all time, in my opinion. But we are right now witnessing Will Zalatoris and Cam Young. Like these guys are doing things that are un- unbelievable. Will Zalatoris has five out of his first seven majors. He's been top ten. Yeah. He's only missed one cut. Like that's unbelievable. He's got to fix that short it. putting stroke when he's that inside at three feet. Just, uh, it hasn't it hasn't come to bite him too much. Like, I think he's only missed a handful of those. Like when in, not even when it counts, just in general, it is hideous. Does anyone Did he lose a tournament earlier this year because of that? He had a short putt at Tory. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it was that I, short. It I think it was earlier short, in the round. But it was that same kind of stroke, though, where right. it was just... But I think that's just his stroke, and he stopped trying to well, fight it. Looks, it it looks so different, his, though. Uh, outside you know, of 10 feet, so. he's, it's pure as anything. And then he gets inside of three feet, and he just looks like he's Tyler putting from that. Does course. anyone know like what his putting stats actually are? Because you kind of look at him, he's got a weird No, he stance. was like top five in strokes game putting this week. He putted in like an absolute maniac he was, he outside was 10 of 10. He made that, he made that one on 18, which was absolutely Will Zalatoris awesome. made 150 feet of putt in the first round. Like any, any pro to make more than like 60, 70 feet of putt in a round, they'd be okay with. But 150 feet of putt to make in one round is unbelievable. It's like, I just want someone to take a picture of him as he's about to hit the ball. It's like he's got that line. Locked left leg as he's standing over it. His wrists are kind of cocked back weird. And then maybe take a picture a second later where he brings the club head six inches. It just scares me. It scares me to death that we have like a like a Matt Kuchar VJ Singh on our hand, like a, a like a, a classic like generational ball striker that Wendy just is gonna let putting ruin his career. And it hasn't it's not happening. It's early for, to say that it's not but, happening yeah. for Will per se. He's not losing it because of his putter, but God, it looks like it's gonna I kinda want him to just like not try to hit the pin anymore. Just like I'm gonna hit 10, 10 to fifteen feet away from the hole and just roll him in. <laughs> Don't hit it close. I mean, he he was top ten in the field and putting this week. I mean, what more do you want from the guy? Like, no, to can't. not hit it close because then he's fine. <laughs> what do we think his deal is though? Because like you said, he's been killing it in the majors. He had sixth place finish at the Masters. Obviously, did really well this week, but he still has no wins on tour. It's like, what is the yeah. one thing that's really holding him back? It sounds like it's not his putting. Um, he's he's. Making long putts, he's doing it all. Like, what is the one thing that's holding him back? He, how does he not have a single win on tour? He According to Mexico Open, I'm looking at the uh, data golf under. website here, and it, uh, in terms of averages, you know, relative to tour, he's great, uh, you know, approach, but his driving accuracy apparently very poor relative. I heard them say a statistic on the coverage. It's like when he's in the fairway, he's like top twenty on tour in proximity to the pin, but when he's in the rough, he's outside the top one fifty. So. Even though you know that number is going to go down because being in the rough is obviously very penal, his variance from when he misses the fairway to how good he is like into the greens is, is much larger than everyone else. So Mito Pereira, we haven't talked about that much. That double on 18, heartbreaking. heartbreaking. I mean, I had I, mean, I got up early and I was working all these graphics for the Instagram and I had one teed up for Mito, first Chilean major winner. Didn't think it would be before Joaquin. Like, and I, it wasn't. I thought he had it all going for him. And that double on 18, I mean, that driver's swing, I know he's been hitting that like kind of burner, like stinger driver, three-wood kind of all around, and that was just not the place to do it. Is yeah, it? I appreciate it. I think it was coverage, or I saw somewhere, it's like it looked like he got electrocuted at impact because it <laughs> just like went all haywire as soon as he tried to swing at the golf ball. I mean, I think at that point, too, 
like I know his world is just going a mile a minute and it's flashing right in front of him. But when he hits that ball in the water, he's hitting three out of the fairway from inside 200 yards. He's got to play like a 30-yard cut around the trees. But he has, in my opinion, like a 50-60% chance easily just to make bogey there. He's got to get it on the green and, and two-putt or get up and down from somewhere. And he puts it in one of the worst spots you could put it where you had 40, 40, you know, 40 yards of green to work with. And you had the ball laying down in the rough. I think he was just cooked at that point. I mean, he was rushing everything after he hit that drive. And I think someone just needed to tell him, like, okay, take a couple deep breaths, slow it down. All you got to do here is make bogey, and you're still in this thing. Yeah, he was definitely so in his head. Like, you watching him, it, that last putt that I think would have still kept him in it if he had made that, that bogey putt, he's just literally just shaking his head, knowing, that, oh, I fucked it up. I, you know, it, Just so th- much thinking about it. Still made eight hundred seventy thousand dollars. Yeah, what was it? What he, he lost like one one point two million, a million dollars on the last hole. Props to him for doing the interview afterwards. And like I don't know, we we all were yeah. looking at the picture of him, Joaquin, Sebastian. Who was the who's there was Abe. a fourth one? Abe answered. Yeah, just hanging that out. That is after, a like, freaking crew, dude. That is like, such team. a solid crew. I'm looking forward to seeing. Like I'm obviously the, a big the, American guy, and I yeah. want to see them whoop some ass at the Presidents Cup. But those are some, those are four cool dudes. Well, yeah. it's so cool too. Joaquin Neiman, his fellow countryman, goes on the broadcast for like an hour and is talking about Mito, his history with them, kind of going play by play as he finishes around. And he was probably more devastated than Mito was watching that ball go in the water. That's the crazy thing, though, is like these majors, these chances don't just grow on trees. Like that could have been his best chance ever to win a major. I mean, no, he has a bright future ahead, but man, that's, no, it's that's still very likely to that, be his best that chance. Gotta yeah. sting. That's just I would say really statistics probably say that was his best chance to ever get. I hope it's not, though. Yeah. That coverage of the ball going in the water, though, how good was that? Like, you, it was it's like a, a, it's a blind shot. Like, you don't no see No pun what's intended, happening. like the biggest cliffhanger I've ever seen. Because <laughs> yeah. it was like searching for the ball, and then it just, boom, the other camera comes in. And, and, it's, it's right and all you see is like the ripples of, yeah. the, of the water. It was so good. Cool. Well, it looks like Chilean golf is on the up and up. Cam and or um, Mito and Joaquin both having great tournaments. Shout out JT. What a great win. Let us know on our Instagram post who you think Justin or Jordan make your pick. We'll be back in a second to talk about next week's event. All right, the tour heads to its final stop in Texas this week for the 2022 PGA season at Colonial, a really historic, well-known golf course, the Charles Schwab Challenge. Uh, Jason Kokrak is the defending champion this week, and then ironically, we were actually just looking at, because the women are playing at Shadow Creek, last year the CJ Cup had to be played at Shadow Creek because of COVID, and Jason Kokrak won there, so this is probably the first, last time anyone will ever do this but jason kokrak is the defending champion on the course that the lpga and the pga tour are playing this week pretty impressive stuff and it might be one of the last times we see jason kokrak too if he's going to go and play and live who knows if he's going to be back on the tour so he's only got like a week or two left so looking at this tournament we have like a really solid uh lineup actually not normally after the you know week after the major but we got jordan we got scotty we got Kokrak, we got Abe Answer, we got lots of really, really solid players. What are you guys looking forward to this week? Yeah, I think we're really kind of entering like the meat of the PGA Tour schedule, where like barring Mito. barring like the week before majors, where people sometimes you know like oh they're going to go to the course early, like we're going to see pretty good feels. And in this case, it's another one of those like invitational, similar to the RBC Heritage, where 
you know, it's you have to actually meet certain criteria to get meat. into the field. Yeah, we're big meat people. Yeah, our Speaking nickname, of meat, our, our nickname for Mito Pereira now is Meat Dash yeah. O. Yeah. <laughs> meat Meat O is meat also going to be in the field this week, and it's kind of it's actually a really cool tradition they have here that I learned about kind of preparing for the podcast. They have Speaking this, of invitational, right? Yeah, it's the Champions Choice tradition. So the previous year's champion gets to invite to like young PGA Tour golfers that don't meet the actual criteria to for the invitational and just get them into the field. So I think this year it's it was Minwoo Lee and Steven Yeager. Oh, those are really good picks. So Minwoo is Minji Lee, yeah. famous LPGA golfer's younger brother, who's actually really solid, just won the European Tour last year. And Steven Yeager is actually the only guy to ever shoot 59 on the web.com tour. He's a yeah. really, really solid player. Okay, yeah. So, so good picks from Kokrak. Yeah, I just think it's kind of cool. And there's been a lot of like... A lot of big names, including my boy Jordan Spieth, who's definitely going to have a better career than JT. Uh, that is, it was one of these picks back in like 2013, 2014, when he was first getting started on the tour before you know his career really took off as well. Also, fun note: I think it's like 70 percent of these picks have gone on to win this tournament in the wow. like in the you know future sort of thing. That's so, pretty cool. Probably Jordan Spieth, great pick for this week, boys. And to anything in Texas, you got to look at Jordan to win. I mean, he loves Texas. He plays well in the wind. And I'm also really looking forward to Scotty kind of bouncing back this week. I think you know, I watched him play last week. He certainly didn't have the stuff like he usually does, but I think he kind of let it slip away. I think he played his last five or six holes in like three or four over to miss the cut last week. He easily could have made the cut. Yeah, I think we're looking for a lot of guys to bounce back this week. So, like, here on the list, Scheffler, like you just talked about, Morikawa yeah. really struggled this past week. Victor, that course didn't set up well for him. This is going to work real well for him this week. So it'll be interesting to see what these guys, some of these top guys, top ten in the world can do. Yeah, Scheffler, Morikawa, Victor, Hovland, Spieth, Sam Burns. It looked like we were going to have Bryson, which would really put like the nice icing on the cake for this, but he did withdraw. His wrist is still bothering him. But what a great, a great turnout for this event. Yeah, and JT, Zalatoris, and Mito, the, the kind of those top three from last week are also in it. So it'll be interesting to see how – I'm really interested to see how Mito kind of bounces back after, like, what clearly is going to kind of fuck with your head after missing the – you know, losing out on a major. Yeah, and I think I think Mito has a really solid game. So they were talking about him on the broadcast. So Mito, like, quit golf for a year when he was in his late teens. And they kind of – Burn out from yeah, it. Yeah, and he kind of got yeah. back into it. And, I mean, that's pretty impressive stuff. I mean, you think about Joaquin and Mito – not only being the two best Chilean golfers ever are like top 20 golfers right now. And they're around the same age. It's really impressive stuff. Yeah. Th this course is also really interesting. I mean, <laughs> colonial is very synonymous with the PGA tour. I think other than some of the majors, this is the longest running like tournament course combination. So they've played here for, I don't know, 70, 80 years now. So it's, it's, you know, that recurring stop every single year, you know, you're playing colonial. Yeah. I think in years past before we were doing this podcast, when I would see like this Texas swing go on, I'd be like, I know these courses. I know they play here. But, yeah, there are two or three events they play in Texas every year. They've been playing for 80-plus years, and this is one of them. And this is a course uh, that has a lot of history. I think, Dolly, you were saying, like, Annika Sormstan played one of her, like, you know, very few PGA Tour events here. So it's a course, too, that's not going to beat people up with distance too much. It's much more of a plot your way around the course. And I think that's why... I look at Jordan Spieth to have some success this week because he's not going to get in too much trouble. It allows him to do some creativity, get up and down a lot. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he's up there this week. Nice. So then in LPGA news this week, the women are playing at Shadow Creek in Las Vegas, Nevada, which if you haven't yet, make sure you go check it out somewhere on the Internet. This course is an absolute bucket list course. It has some really crazy greens. It plays kind of in the canyon, up on the mountains. Um, like they played the CJ Cup there last year. And uh, this is a match play event for the women. So I remember watching it last year. Like, the women don't play many match play events. And it's actually 
like we talk about how the women's game is always a little bit more relatable. Watching women play match play is really fun because you watch par fives and they have to, you know, they're laying up, not necessarily going for it. It becomes like, you know, like a wedge contest and the par threes are always way more competitive. We didn't talk about it much. I meant to mention it with Southern Hills, but three of the par threes on Sunday played over 200 yards, one playing two, over 250. That is not only unrelatable, that is just brutal, I think. And I know these guys are really good golfers and you got to challenge them, but I'm not a fan of par threes over 200 unless you're going to compliment them with something like you know like like the postage stamp green on you know over in the european tour circuit or some really tiny small par threes yeah so actually two match play events coming up for the uh women so you mentioned the lpga we're also wrapping up the ncaa women's golf tournament so i think the team final is tomorrow which is a match play event so we had rose zhang number one amateur in the world already won the individual championship so we're going to see if Stanford can come through and uh, take the uh, team title. Yes, we had eight teams. So the way the NCAA play, uh, match play or the NCAA championships work is like, you know, 20 teams, 20 or 30 teams are invited with their five players. Uh, they play two rounds of stroke play to identify what would be an individual champion. And then all the team scores are added up to define eight teams that go into the bracket style playoff. The eight this year were Stanford, Oregon, Texas A&M, UCLA, Auburn, Florida State, San Jose State, and Georgia. Uh, earlier today, we saw all of the quarterfinal matches. Stanford outlasted Georgia just barely, and Stanford is an absolute powerhouse this year. Uh, so we, I think we're probably – Stanford's the clear favorite. They have back-to-back individual champions in Rachel Heck and Rose Zhang, uh, but it's a lot of fun to watch. I remember watching it last year. The courses they play are really pretty. Um, this is also the event that was canceled. Uh, the regional was canceled last year because of the weather somewhere in like the su- oh, southeast. That's one where they walked thing. out of the top of the stairs and like everyone's just looking at him. like, yeah. we, we got to go. It was one of those like unfortunate events. I think that they caught a lot of bad press for it, but they went to that tournament and on a Sunday and were meant to play Monday, Tuesday. And it was like Wednesday or Thursday. And the way the rain had kind of finally just stopped and the, the course was absolutely soaked and they decided to call it off. And that's when Barstool and Foreplay put on their own version of it. And I think it was really, really good for the for the women. Uh, but we're, we're glad to see them back competing for the, the NCAA championship now. Shadow Creek's also just uh, that fuck wrong course. Never mind. I don't know about you, but I get Shadow. Is it, is Tiger Woods is the Wolf Creek, right? Isn't yeah. There, the, the, yeah, the Tiger Woods game Wolf Creek. I get it mixed up. It's kind of it's, it's very similar, actually. <laughs> Wolf Creek is kind of like created to be this fake, like unbelievable course where par four, you drive it like over a mountain and it's only like 200 yards to the green. But this course, you got to watch it this weekend with the ladies because it is very much a very exciting course to watch. Cool. I think that wraps it up for our week coming up on the LPGA and PGA Tour. If you haven't yet, head on over to Instagram and follow us at Big Players Only Pod. More and more content coming your way. Thanks for being here. See you next week.